Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. And there's nothing wrong with that, and I believe God brings them our way. But what I, what I want us to consider today, what about the everyday opportunities? What about the everyday opportunities that the Lord gives us? Do we care enough about the everyday opportunities to seize them as well? Or are we just looking for that big opportunity, the big break, the big thing? But, but sometimes we miss out on the everyday. And today, as we talk about how to neighbor, because for me, I think about my neighbors. They're people every morning, like this morning, we're scraping our... Our car, they weren't getting ready for church, I don't think. Uh, we didn't see them this morning. But throughout the whole winter, every morning at 7.30 when I'm getting my wife's van ready and getting the kids in, I would see our neighbor and I'd say, hey, Stephanie, how's it going? Good, good, yeah, yeah. And everyone's in a rush. We're, we're always quick to move on. And the picture as we were worshiping, actually, um, God gave me is, and I wasn't even thinking about the message, but picture like a floor full of thumbtacks. Right? And there are certain spots where you can step and be in the clear, like you'll be okay. And by the way, you don't have shoes on. You're barefoot. Right? After a while, you know how to navigate that floor, assuming the thumbtacks never move, and you're okay. You get by it. But what happens if you step on one thumbtack? Right? A new awareness of, oh yeah, I have to remember that there is all this stuff all around me. Everyday opportunities are kind of like that. I don't know if the analogy works, but that's the picture that I had. Um, And by the way, because a thumbtack is an annoyance for us in this illustration, people and neighbors are not. They ought not to be like the thumbtack. But they're there every day, and oftentimes we just kind of, you know, move them aside because we're on mission. We have to do this, and we have to do that, and I'm late for work, and I have to get to church. What about the everyday opportunities? We're going to look in Scripture, in Luke chapter 10. And as we do that, would you stand to your feet if you're able this morning? Turn to Luke chapter 10. I want to remind you, church is not a building, it's a people. We're called as the church, wherever we go, to be the church. And what does that mean for us? It means that people matter in our lives, or at least they should. And when we are getting, we're going to look in our text today, Matthew chap, uh, Luke chapter 10, sorry, and we're going to see what's taking place. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you're with me, say amen. 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 We'll have the words as well on the screen behind me. And here's what it says. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life. Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, 
and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or your Bible might say a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. In verse 37, the man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is the absolute authority in our lives as believers. And Father, I thank you that we can read this book, but in reality, your word actually reads our lives. It reads us. God, I pray today that as we consider what you want us to, to know and leave with today, that God, we would leave here with a fresh understanding of what it means about how to be a good neighbor, how to neighbor. And Father, may uh, you challenge our hearts, I pray, in this area. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would anoint my mind, my lips, and my heart, that I would speak your word as you intend it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. In this story that we read in Luke chapter 10, this, this lawyer was an expert in religious law. And we know his intent when he's asking his question. He was actually wanting to test Jesus. And as a side note, if, if you ever feel like you're like that lawyer, like I'm going to put Jesus to the test, um, be careful because in the end, Jesus might use that situation to test you, to test your character, to test your, who you are as a person. And by the way, the only area that we can actually test God that he invites us to is in the area of our finances, in, in the area of money. And the word says, um, see if I will not open the windows of heaven. Test me in this. Uh, you can find it in Malachi. And so uh, this lawyer was putting Jesus to the test, essentially. He asked his question not to search for the information, to find and to learn and to grow, but to see what kind of answer Jesus would produce. So, so his intent isn't pure. He's not asking Jesus out of a curiosity to grow and to learn, um, but he was actually setting Jesus up to see what kind of answer he would give. And who knows, maybe once Jesus would respond, thinking, I, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer, I know the law, I could one-up Jesus, and I could maybe, you know, show people what I'm made of. And his question, what should I do to inherit eternal life, is not a bad question, to be honest. In fact, as we learn how to neighbor, this should become central to our conversation. Uh, you know, if all we ever did was talk about surface things... And we don't actually spend time to go a little deeper with people. 
we're missing the point. And, and you might say, yeah, but pastor, does every conversation have to go to eternal things and to Jesus? No. But there will be opportunities. You have to look for them, though. Because if we don't take those opportunities, all we'll ever do is talk surface. And, and here's the reality. As a believer, what we have received from him, how can we be selfish and hold it in? How can we keep it to ourselves? We have not been saved just to, to, to carry and hide the, the treasure that we've received and then just make it to heaven. The light that shines in us is not meant to just shine here. It's meant to shine out. The light of the world, Jesus also said to the church, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Don't, don't hide it under a bushel. Let it shine. Let it shine. So listen, if you have experienced for yourself salvation, the love of God, healing, freedom, all of these things, look around us. Look at the world. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for hope. They're looking for Jesus. And maybe they'll never open up a book and hear. Maybe they'll never listen to a sermon podcast. But maybe they'll meet you. And, and maybe you need to be a willing vessel, and, but take the opportunity. And so his question is not bad, but I think what he's actually asking is more geared to the works. Tell me what I need to do to get eternal life. And so he's asking that question, and it shows us that he was thinking of some form of salvation by works. And he, you see, he had no understanding yet of divine grace. He didn't understand that yet. And in verse 26 to 27, by the way, since he's a lawyer, I like what Jesus says. To answer his question, he says, well, what does the law say? Right? Because you know it so well, you tell me. What does the law say? And, and how do you read it? Like, how do you see it from your perspective? And his answer in verse 27 is spot on because Jesus even quotes and says this very thing in verse 27 you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your strength and all your mind basically with everything with everything that you are with all that is within you that's why when I worship it's with all that is within me when when I give it's with all that is within me with joy we do it when I go and speak with someone and I know they're hurting it's with all that is within me do everything as unto the Lord the Bible says and so we serve God with all that is within us every part that's why it's important as a believer when you get saved, you give everything to God. You don't, don't hold back any part, the dirty, sinful part. No, you give it all to God. Give it all to Him because the blood of Jesus will never cover what we don't uncover, what we don't expose to Him. God, these are my weaknesses. Lord, I give them to you. If we don't give them, He, he has no room, no access to those areas in your life. But we say, God, you take everything. I renounce my past. Everything is made new. But God, you have my life. Everything I place in your hands. So Jesus even quotes what this man says. And then he adds this part. And love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love people is how we can sum it up. 
A lot of churches sum up their, their mission statement in that. Love God and love people. And it's based out of these, these scriptures. And Jesus tells him, right, do this and, and you'll live very well. But now he takes it a step further, this, this wise lawyer. Because he's still trying to justify himself to Jesus. And he says, okay, so love your neighbors yourself. So God, who is my neighbor, by the way? Like, like how far does this, does this actually go? And I want to break down for you in the Greek what we find. So there are two words in Greek for neighbor in the New Testament. One is perioikis, which is someone who dwells around or literal neighbor. Like you live in a certain house, you have a neighbor. That's this first definition. But I want you to know that that's not the word that is used in our text in Luke 10 for neighbor. The word that we find when you look it up is uh, plesion. Plesion. And this is what it means. Any other person and where two are concerned, the other. So basically for the Jews, which would apply to this, this man, according to the Jews, any member of the Hebrew nation and commonwealth. But according to Christ, it's any other man or woman, irrespective of nation or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet. So the borders for Jesus on this definition of neighbor are far greater and they stretch much further than just the one who lives close by me or who is of like culture or ethnic background. It breaks those barriers when Jesus is talking about being a good neighbor. So how to neighbor is an important thing to understand because in Jesus' eyes, everyone should be my neighbor. I should consider every single person I meet my neighbor because we're crossing paths. But, but to this lawyer, this expert in religious law, he was trying to see where the line would stop. He was trying to see, to justify himself. And so that, all of this leads up to the parable that Jesus shares. By the way, a parable is not a true real-life story. Jesus used parables to, to show a deeper truth or meaning, um, much like if some of us watch movies, and, and, you know, there's like a main character and all of this stuff. There's a plot, but there's sometimes a deeper message uh, woven through the movie at the end of it. And, and in the way that today we get movies, Jesus told stories. And by the way, movies are basically people telling stories just on film. And so uh, Jesus was a brilliant communicator. Did you know that? Uh, there was no like iPhone, no Insta stories, nothing like that. But Jesus knew how to communicate. And in this parable, he breaks it down to three people. Three people that we come into contact with. I think I jumped through my notes, but we're good. He was testing Jesus. Oh yeah, I want to say this. He, he wanted to test Jesus with his question of who is my neighbor. But as Jesus responds now with these three Jesus doesn't really even answer the question of who is my neighbor. Jesus answers the question of how to neighbor. He doesn't, he's less concerned with who it is, but how is where he places the emphasis. So who is less important 
than how to neighbor. And so the first in verse 30 is a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It talks about that there were some bandits or some robbers that came. And it doesn't say what they robbed. But you know what it does say they did? They beat up this man and they left him half dead. So just to understand. So the emphasis is not, oh, he got robbed. What what did they take? What happened? That's not really important in this story Jesus is communicating. It's the fact that this man was half dead. So here comes our first character, the priest. And the priest walks by, and as he would lay eyes on this man who was beaten up, half dead, maybe he wasn't moving much, maybe he was already dead, who knows. But here's what we can conclude about the priest, that if, if he were to go over and to touch this man, and if he was indeed dead already, then that would make the priest himself ceremonially unclean. And in this example of using the priest, it would be the equivalent in our context of me saying, "Mm, uh, I'm just going to literally, he crossed the street and he kept walking. Because he said, I have a duty to fulfill. I can't be unclean in case he's dead. And so Jesus was showing maybe the person that we all think should be the one to help, he crossed the street. He crossed the street. And what we do know is that that man that was suffering was still left suffering after the priest walked by. We get to person number two, the Levite or the temple assistant. He's also a religious figure. He would work in the the temple. And you would expect that there would be an interest in him to stop and help as well. But he would have also been interested in ceremonial purity. So it's like attention. God, what do I do? Like there's a man that needs help. But if, if he's dead, if I touch him, I become unclean and I can't fulfill what I have to do for you, Lord. So I'm not going to touch the guy. And, and he too crosses the road and walks past him. What is the result of that? He's still suffering. He's still suffering. My friend, I don't know if, if we've been blinded by the, the plight and, and the state of society, but there are a lot of suffering people. Maybe they're not left beaten up half dead on the side of the road, but, but they're crying out. Maybe they're not saying it with their words, but it's, it's in their habits and their addictions. It's in how they lash out and how they speak, how they act, how they treat others. Maybe it, it comes out in those different ways, but, but they're, they're suffering. They don't know a better way. And, and my question is, what are we doing? Myself included. I don't cut myself out of anything. What are we doing as believers? Are we ready to neighbor? Are we ready to neighbor? Because we're about to see how to do it. We saw two examples of how not to do it. And at the end of it, you're going to understand why. But now we're going to see how to do it. And my question is, are you willing to get your hands a little dirty? Are you willing maybe to spend a little money to help somebody 
I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about people outside the church. People that maybe are, are desperate. People that have no family and are looking for help financially. I don't know. I don't know what your context uh, might be or the person you might be. It might be different for every single person. But are we willing? That's the question. Because who cares how we, we do it if we don't even have a desire? But I want you to know, if you call yourself a believer, we, we can't skate past this issue. Because there are people all around us, it's, it, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, whether maybe it's even here on a Sunday as we gather as a family, that people are hurting. And, and maybe we just say, well, the pastor can minister to them or pray for them. No. My role, Ephesians chapter 4 is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of ministry. And as I teach and as we train, as we get the tools we need, we go out, we deploy. That's why we say service is over as we walk out of here, but church is not. Because we, we can't just say, well, I'll be, I'll be a part of the church Sunday, but uh, Monday to Saturday, I'm just going to be who, like, who I am. And, and you're almost like this dual personality. But God has called us to be the church. And, and, and I believe that God is looking for a faithful church. And, and at Weston, this is what we're committing to do. We're committing to be a faithful church. God has been bringing people into this house. And we need to learn how to neighbor. Uh, not that we don't do a good job of welcoming people. But I'm saying we need to, to, to stretch. We need to grow in this area. I need to grow in this area. Last Sunday, we had coffee with the pastor. I'm so happy to, I, like, I don't even know, but I'm trying to have a conservative estimate. I, there must have been at least 20 to 25 new people, new families that uh, we gathered and just, you know, I, I got to just share and see their faces, maybe some for the first time. And they said, oh, we've been coming for about a month. And I was like, really? Is the first time we're actually getting to, like, to say hi face to face. Um, so God is bringing people our way. But as a church, we, we need to learn how to neighbor. Because he's going to, as we learn to do this, he's going to entrust us with more. And, and our heart is people. It's not numbers, by the way. We're not, we don't get caught up in numbers. We love people. Remember, love God with all of who we are and love your neighbor as yourself. So we love people. The first two, the priest and the Levite, crossed the street and, and walked right by. But let's get to the third person, a Samaritan. You know, in the New Living Translation in which I read, in verse 33, it actually describes him as a despised Samaritan. And why, you know, if, if you didn't grow up in church or maybe you don't understand uh, why that would be, let me just give you a quick explanation and understanding is the Jews just thought of themselves as a special people and they are in God's eyes. But at the same time, the Samaritan was viewed as lesser and not as a part of us. And so Jesus remembers the one telling this parable. So he's communicating something so that this man who thought, I know the law, I'm going to test Jesus, he's now pushing the boundaries of his understanding of the definition of neighbor. Because he said, and Lord, who's my neighbor? So he thought the Jews, so their logic, the third person should have also been a Jewish person. 
right? So now when Jesus says, well, the third person that came was a despised Samaritan, yeah, because the people listening to Jesus share this, they would have thought, a Samaritan? We don't associate with them. Remember John chapter 4? Jesus and the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan. She was a Samaritan woman. So Jesus was not just telling stories about uh, how to neighbor, but he was starting to do it in his own life and ministry. And so in view of the traditional bitterness between Jew and Samaritan, a Samaritan would have been the last person who might have been expected to help. So I want to share with you out of what happens with the Samaritan uh, five ways that we can neighbor, be a good neighbor. Five ways on how to neighbor. Number one, be moved with compassion. Be moved with compassion. For it says in verse 33, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Do you feel compassion when you see suffering people? Do you feel compassion for that coworker at work? Who, who they just come in and you know something's going on. They're, you can see that they've been crying maybe in the car uh, before they walked in to, to, to work. Are you moved with compassion when you see the poor? When you see the hurting? I'm so happy our young people on Thursday, they're going outside the walls of our church. They're going to go to a community center on Weston Road to minister to other kids how to neighbor, how to be a good neighbor. They're putting into action this message already. But we have to have compassion or else there's no motivation. Look at Jesus. When he saw groups and crowds of people that were lost, the Bible says he looked on them and had compassion for them. So number one, we need to have compassion and we need to be moved with compassion. Number two, let compassion move you to action and action in a right way see the action that the first two took was to cross the street and to keep walking but I love this despised Samaritan because verse 34 starts off by saying and going over to him so there was a, an intentional walk that he wasn't trying to avoid or Maybe I'll go close just to kind of gauge what's going on or try to see what happened. No, he walked right up to the, this person. And we need to be intentional in our approach. Uh, that's why I pray when we close most Sundays for divine opportunities or appointments. Because it might be the same route you take to work or to school every, every day. But God's going to put someone in your path. You could sidestep them. And keep going, but be intentional about your walk. Be intentional about it. And here's the thing. Don't just have compassion, but the compassion should spur us to action. And, and that's, this is what moved this Samaritan man. Then it tells us in verse 34 what he did for him. So the third thing in how to neighbor is share your personal resources. Share your personal resources. So what did he do? He had olive oil and he had wine. The wine, the alcohol in the wine would have helped to cleanse the wound as an antiseptic. And then the olive oil would have helped to, to soothe maybe the pain that he would have felt. And so 
there was a purpose. He didn't just say, like, let me just throw some stuff here together and hope this helps. It was intentional as well. Oil costs money. So does wine. But not only that, he, after he brought him to the inn, he paid. He paid. He said, and, and if it runs out, next time I come, you run the tab. I'm going to come and I'm going to pay it off. So don't worry. I'm good for my word. Here's, here's the coin to get it started, though. And are we willing to dig into our pockets, maybe? And I'm not just saying, ah, here, I only have five cents. Uh, I just got a, a quarter. And maybe they'll, they're grateful enough and they'll just take it. But I, I'm talking about a little beyond that. If we see someone in desperate need, are we willing to, to do something a little more radical? Are we willing to say, Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do? Because we don't just want to be moved by this. Because if it's up to my mind, it'll just be the quarter in my pocket. Or the new excuse that I have is digital. Do you accept tap? Right? I'll, I'll pay with my, my Apple Watch. Right? And, and it's not an excuse. It's just I'm not in the habit of carrying money. But maybe sometimes it's like, Holy Spirit, do I still need to do something? Find an ATM machine. Do I need to give this person money? Do I need to bring them to a, a restaurant and buy them food? Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Because if it's just your mind... We're not going to neighbor well. And we won't tap into our personal resource. We could say, well, I'm sure Salvation Army can help them. Right? Let's not pass the buck. Let's step up as the church and say, God, what are you asking of me to do today? I want to be used by you. Number four, put others before yourself. Put others before yourself. The story says that the man took this beat-up guy and put him on his donkey. So what does that mean? It meant that he had to walk, right? So he's accompanying this badly beaten guy, which means he's got to walk next to him the whole journey. I don't know how long it was to find that inn where he brought him for help, but he was willing to walk. Are you willing to be inconvenienced to help someone you don't even know. They're still your neighbor, just so you know. We're learning how to neighbor. And, and Jesus is teaching not just that man, but his church, us, as we read this passage today, how to neighbor. And it breaks down a lot of the things that we value, right? It breaks down a lot of, well, I don't want them to dirty my car. We have these thoughts, right? Because no one here has a donkey, I don't think. I'll, I'll never forget when I was in Montreal at a church, uh, I walked into the office and I could tell the secretary, like when I walked in, she, her eyes were point, like directional in her point. And there was a, a person that had walked in and he looked okay, like well to do, but he said, oh, I have no money for my meds. And uh, he was a bit loud spoken and uh, a little abrasive in how he spoke. But I was like, okay, um, in my, in my spirit, I'm praying, like, Lord, help me to not just see with my eyes, but to understand what he's going through. And so he's saying, I have no money for my meds. And uh, smelled a bit, you know, and I'm not judging. This is just like the perception. My, my senses were working. And 
it got like after uh, like half an hour of just letting him speak, I said, well, listen, two things that, that I would love to do for you if you want. I said, I'm not going to just hand you money. But I said, number one, I want to pray for you because if you need meds, it means you're sick. And, and as a pastor, I believe in the power of prayer and that God can heal, right? An opportunity, but you have to look for them. I could have just given him the money and say, get out, get out, right? But sometimes it's not the money. It's not your personal resource. Sometimes it's other things, or sometimes it's, it's both, and. And, and so uh, he said, okay. I prayed for him, and, and then he still said, and, but how am I going to get the meds? He said, so here's what I'm willing to do for you. I'm not asking, I'm not going to, the church doesn't have money that we just, give to people, yeah, go buy meds, here, go buy cigarettes, like, it's not what we do, I said, but I'm willing to get in my car, you're going to come with me, I'll drive you to the pharmacy, and I said, you you tell me it's 40 bucks, I said, you know, have the person write out whatever it is with the amount, come out of the pharmacy, and I said, I'll give you the money right there, and you, I won't even come in, I don't even want to know what it is, um, so he came out, did it, and I gave him the money, got his meds, and that was it. At the end of it, I've never seen him again. But sometimes it's not even about all of that. Sometimes it's more that God teaches us what we're really made of. You see that? And, and in the process, it's about people. But God wants to make sure that our hearts are in the right place as well. So this man is trying to test Jesus. And Jesus... Uh, He's no fool, by the way. He knows exactly where we're at as a people, as individuals. We, can't, we can fool one another, but we can't fool him. And so we get to the end of this exchange and this encounter. And Jesus asks him this question. Which of these three would have been a neighbor? Now he's a man who knows the law, the religious law. And part of the law says you can't be ceremonially unclean. So the priest and the Levite chose to do this. But do you remember when Jesus said, well, you know the law. What does it say? He said, well, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus asked him the question, which of these three was the true neighbor, he would have realized all of the... <laughs> All of the things that come into play because he said it was the third person, the Samaritan. Which means the priest, even though he was clean and pure still, he wasn't a, a good neighbor. The Levite, though he stayed ceremonially pure, he wasn't a good neighbor. But, but the Samaritan was a good neighbor. And I want you to know this, that God is calling you and I to step over whatever red tape we think exists and to be willing to be his hands and his feet. I, I've been saying this a lot, but I believe it's the Holy Spirit in me and through me that ministry is messy. You know, we come to church prim and proper and, and there's nothing to, to say good or bad. You, you come as you are. But ministry is oftentimes messy because we're dealing with people's issues, people's sin. But we want them not to, to focus on that. We want them to find Jesus. And this is the important part is when we learn how to neighbor, 
It's that they, they find Jesus. They don't find a set of rules or regulations or stipulations or do's and don'ts. We don't you know, say, this is how, how to behave. No, we want people to be able to belong in the house of God. They can come to church without being judged so that they can hear the word of the Lord, that they can be a part of what God is doing as we worship Him and sense something's different in this place. They might not believe yet, but they can belong. They can, they can be a part of what God is doing. And I believe that as they're here in this environment, guess what? God will get a hold of their heart. And, and I, you know what? The behavior thing, that, that comes later. Once they believe, God works on the inside. And then what we believe, and as he's working on the inside, it'll, it'll change our behavior on the outside. So remember... God is counting on us to learn how to neighbor. Who is irrelevant? It's, a, it's an irrelevant question. Jesus, in this parable, placed the whole emphasis on how. And, and the thing is, we need to be willing to neighbor. So now we know how. My question for the church is, are we ready to do it? Dr. Martin Luther King put it this way. The first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? And so for us today, may we consider others before ourselves and be a good neighbor. Would you stand to your feet as we prepare to close today? The profound implication of Jesus' story, this parable, is that it left the expert of the law to think whether the priest and the Levite, who made sure they kept morally pure as per the law, really kept the law, which commands us to love our neighbor. So in being so pure and holy, they actually broke the law of being a good neighbor, of loving the neighbor. And today I just want you to know that Jesus loves each and every one of us so much. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And what did he give? His leftovers? No. Listen, he didn't give leftovers. He gave his one and only son. So we, we should not offer others our leftovers. We give them what we have. You know, Acts chapter 3, I'm going to close with this and then we're going to pray but Acts chapter 3, because sometimes you may not have money, but there was a beggar, and he was rattling his, his cup as people were walking to the temple. He sat beside the gate called Beautiful, and he was lame, could not walk, could not work. He was asking for money, but Peter walked up and said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And I want you to know that money isn't always the answer for the poor or for the lost or for the broken. It, it, maybe it's an easy way out sometimes. But I want to be full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit to know the difference, to discern the true need. He was asking for money. And they said, no, no, no. What you need is healing. Get up and walk. So, you know, may God expand our vision 
Not what we see with these eyes or with these glasses, but through the Spirit to see the point of need. And that we can minister to people. And God will be glorified. This is what the church looks like, friend. This is what it does. We go from this place with tools to go out and use them for His glory. Can you say amen? Come on, Weston. We are learning how to neighbor. Listen, Easter is coming. And maybe you're like, I have that invite card. But I can't, I can't ask my neighbor. I can't ask my coworker because I'm not a good neighbor. Listen. Learn how to neighbor in the next week, two weeks, and then invite them to come to church. Don't just actually invite them. Bring them to church. Bring them to church. And we're going to see God do some great things in this house for his glory. But it can't stop here. It's got to go there. It's got to go. It's got to get out of these walls. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.